Good evening. If you seem to sense an aura of cold dampness that permeates this room, attribute it not to either defective air conditioning or inclement indoor weather. It's simply because this is rather a special place with a special statuary and special paintings. It's the Riley and Kimmy Show. The Riley and Kimmy Show. Welcome to this episode. If you're listening today, it is uploaded. It is a Sunday, June 4th. This is episode number 1265. Right next to me is... Janet! I got one name. Janet! Hello, everybody. Hello, everybody. Everybody, 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 everybody. <laughs> Hi there. I am your host, Patrick Riley. I can tell you I don't have money, but what I do have are a very particular set of skills. Skills I have acquired over a very long career. Skills that make me a nightmare for people like you. Uh, yeah, okay. Uh, yeah, yeah. Welcome to this episode. Gimme, how are you on a Sunday morning? I'm doing fine. Well, it's before sunrise, and it's good to see you here all bright-eyed and bushy-tailed and ready to go. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now, Kimmy, one of the things uh, I have to ask you is, are you getting ready to head out and about to some upcoming events that the Riley and Kimmy Show will be at? Well, yeah. Well, that's really cool. The Riley and Kimmy Show will be hitting the streets. We will be on the road real soon. On the road again. Just can't wait to get on the road again. The life I love is making music with my friends. And I can't wait to get on the road again. Be sure to check out our event page on our website at RileyandKimmy.com to find out where we will be next. It's constantly being updated. Matter of fact, the month of June, we're going to be at, uh, well, quite a few locations, and it might even be more. Matter of fact, if you have an upcoming event, pop culture event in Florida, you would like the Riley and Kimmy Show to be part of and to promote. Feel free to contact us right through our event page. Or if you have an event that is animal-related, pet-related, you would like us to be part of and promote as well. We have a show that is designed just for that, a little sideshow, and that's called Animal Special. You can find the event page, also social media links, you know, like for Facebook and other social media platforms like Twitter and Instagram and YouTube, right on our website with archived episodes and celebrity interviews and videos and so much more. What is our web address, Kimmy? RileyandKimmy.com Kimmy, I have a question for you on this Sunday, June 4th. Would you like to play Nerd and Pop Culture Trivia? Well, yeah. We'll be asking Kimmy some questions from the trivia timeline. The timeline has been adjusted. It is not linear. It is not chronological. So feel free to shout out answers to Kimmy. Help her out. That's right, because she gets more of these right than wrong. She gets a Sunday dinner of her choice anywhere in central Florida. Maybe she wants to go to the beach or something. I, I have no idea. But she's got to get more of them right than wrong, and you are the key. You can help her by shouting at your, well, laptop, desktop, tablet, smartphone, whatever listening device you happen to have the Riley and Kimmy show playing on. You can take us anywhere, so you can be listening on anything. We are mobile, and we are global. Here we go, Kimmy, on this Sunday, June 4th, with your very first question. Are you ready? Mm-hmm. All right, Kimmy. Moving over into the world of, well, sort of computers, but not really. More about books and movies. It was on this date, Kimmy. I need the year within five 
Amazon.com announced that it had received more than one million orders for the book Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix. The release date was planned for June 21st. Now, what year did this happen within five? Was that the very first? I'm not answering that. 19... Mm. It was not the first. 2000. It was... Within five, you get it. It was 2003 that that happened. Moving over to something else, actually in the music category now, Kimmy. The year, 1984, this recording artist releases Born in the USA album. Who is it? Bruce Springsteen. Do you have that in your collection? No. It was on this date, 1896, Henry Ford made a successful test drive of his new car in Detroit, Michigan. He called the vehicle Quadricycle. What do you think about that? Hmm. You like quadricycle? Mm-mm. Yeah, it didn't stick, did it? No. No. Cars, you know, you know why car is, right? Horseless carriage. And then oh. they, they shorted they shortened carriage to car. That's where that comes from. It was on his date in 1931. The first rocket glider flight was made by William Swan in Atlantic City, New Jersey. I, I bet that was a hang on for dear life, don't mm-hmm. you? Uh, uh-huh. Yeah. It was on this date the first shopping cart was introduced, Kimmy. This was in Oklahoma where the very first shopping cart, or maybe you prefer buggy. I don't get that one, but it seems a lot of people call them buggy in Florida. Mm-hmm. When was the first, I'm going to call it shopping cart. When was the first shopping cart? When did it first come to be, Kimmy? We will give you a, oh, let's be fair. Let's do it by decade, Kimmy. Was it, are you ready? Mm-hmm. Was it the 1920s, the 1930s, the 1940s, or the 1950s? 1920s? It was 1939. The first buggy or shopping cart was created and introduced. Now, the shopping cart back then was actually a folding chair that had been mounted on wheels. Okay. <laughs> it actually sounds like something your father would have created. <laughs> <laughs> or MacGyver. One of the two. Mm. A folding chair mounted on wheels. Mm-hmm. I bet that was fun. Don't, don't you? It was Well, think about it. It caught on. Somehow from, you know, Oklahoma City, Oklahoma, that ended up, you know, by the time, oh, you know, by the 60s or even the 50s, part of the 50s, you would start seeing shopping carts mm-hmm. on TV shows. No, Kimmy and I were not around in the 1950s, but you'll watch some television shows where they head to the, what do they call it? The gro- uh, They call it grocery store or the market or something like that, and you would you would see that. Aunt B never used one of those, though. You know, mm. She had a basket, mm. you know, usually. It was on this date in 1944, Leonidas Witherall was first heard. It was the first broadcast on Mutual Broadcast System, 1944. That was a detective kind of show. It was on this date in 1949, Cavalcade of Stars debuts on Dumont TV. Jackie Gleason is made host in 1950. And then eventually we have the Honeymooners. It was on this date in 1974, the Cleveland Indians had 10-cent beer night. Now, do you think that worked out? 10-cent beer night, Kimmy, 1974. Do you think that worked out? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, it really worked. Now, due to the drunken and unruly fans... The Indians had to forfeit to the Texas Rangers. Oh, wow. That was 1974. I have never seen video or, you know, 
film footage of this. Wow. I don't know if I want to, but yeah, 10 cent beer night just didn't exactly work. (laughs) That was not a good idea. It was, on, it was on this date in 1974, Sally Murphy became the first woman to qualify as an aviator in the United States Army. It was on this date in 1984 for the first time in 32 years, this golfer failed to make the cut for the U.S. Open Golf Tournament. Who is it, Kimmy? He was legendary. The year is 1984, and it's the first time in 32 years he fails to make the cut. Big name golfer. Arnold Palmer. Who yelled that out to you? Kimmy got that. The year 1984. This person's album is released and a title track becomes a big hit, Kimmy. Tell me the name of the recording artist. Here is your audio clue, okay? Give me, give me the name of the single, and then you have the album, and tell me the name of the recording artist. Glamorous Life. That's correct. By Sheila E. That's correct, 1984. It was on this date, Kimmy, the United States Post Office announced that people referred or preferred the younger Elvis stamp compared to the latter year stamp of Elvis. Tell me the year the younger Elvis was chosen within five years. 1995. You get it? 1992 is when that happened. Moving over to celebrity and notable birthdays. Rosalind Russell, born 1907, died 1976 at the age of 69. She was nominated for the Academy Award for Best Actress four times throughout her career. She had a wide career span from the 1930s to the 1970s. Moving over to somebody else, born on this date, 1924, Kimmy. Known for, known for well, a certain movie... And he was part of two TV shows, one very big for him, where he was a star in the 1970s. This is the TV show he was a star on. If you figure out the theme, you'll know who he is. Here's your clue. give you some extra clues because I see that bewildered look on your face. 1970s show, detective-oriented, police-oriented with a sort of Western theme. It was an outcast scenario where the police officer's from the West and he goes to New York City. And he tries to fit into the big city. And this would rotate with other mystery detective shows on NBC on Sunday nights, one of them being Columbo. McCloud? Yes, it is McCloud. Who was a star of McCloud in the 1970s, Kimmy? Dennis Weaver. That's correct. He was born in the state in 1924. Now, my question for you, he starred in a movie, the very first movie for director Steven Spielberg. Tell me the 1971 film he starred in. Duel. Yes, Duel. He drives a Plymouth Valiant in that against the, uh, the semi. You like that movie? Mm-hmm. Duel. Yeah, I recommend checking that one out. 
And by the way, you can catch him on Gunsmoke. That was the other TV show he's part of. He was Marshal Matt Dillon's first deputy before Festus. You can catch Chester Good, that is Dennis Weaver, on Gunsmoke on MeTV during weekdays. It's like uh, 1 o'clock Eastern in the afternoon. Mm. Next person, Kimmy, you actually, I think, attended a lecture by this person. If you will admit that here on the Riley and Kimmy show, tell me how old this individual is. Dr. Ruth Westheimer, having a birthday. How old is Dr. Ruth today? She's still with us? I wouldn't be asking how old she is <laughs> if she wasn't. Yes, she is still with us, Kimmy. Wow, like 95? No, but you're close. She's 89 today. 80, really? Yes, she's one of those that kind of looked a little older than what they were always. Now, did you attend, am I correct, a lecture, an appearance of Dr. Ruth? Yes, I did. And how was that lecture, Kimmy? It was, well, I was in college. It was, it's fun. Moving over to somebody else from the birthday list. It's Laura Dern's father. Tell me his name, Kimmy. Bruce Dern. Yes, how old is Bruce Dern within five years? 85. He's 81 today. Next person, Kimmy. Singer and actress. Now, she was a main cast member on the series Knott's Landing from 1987 to 1993. But she was part of the Mamas and the Papas. Can you tell me who it is? Um, Michelle Phillips. That's right. How old is Michelle Phillips today within five? Uh, 66. She's 73. Moving over to somebody that I think you had a crush on during your young years. Probably had his poster, I bet, hung up on, on the bedroom wall. He's the actor who played opposite of Sean Cassidy in the Hardy Boys. Tell me who it is. I did not like Parker Stevenson. You didn't? Okay. Mm -mm. No. <laughs> Parker Stevenson having a birthday. How old is he within five? Um, 62. He's 65, so you get that. Next person, singer. He's part of a group, but he also went solo, and that's what we're going to focus on right now, his solo time. He had a hit that charted the top 40. Matter of fact, number three in 1986 and number one on R&B. It was number three in the Hot 100. Tell me who the recording artist is who's having a birthday today. Kimmy, who is that who had a hit in 1986? Who's Johnny? Can you tell me the recording artist? I can't. That's El DeMarge having a birthday today. He is 56. Next person you watched on TV, best known for um, well playing a doctor on this TV show. Identify the TV show. That's right, Kimmy, it is ER. He's best known for playing the role of Dr. John Carter. Can you tell me who he is? And by the way, he was named one of the 50 most beautiful people by People Magazine in 2001. It is not George Clooney. Yeah, um, I can't remember his name. Noah Weil. 
Mm. Yes. Having a birthday, how old is he today within five years? Um, 58. He's 46 today. Next person, Kimmy. She has been cited as Hollywood's highest paid actress. She played Laura Croft in Laura Croft Tomb Raider in 2001. Mr. and Mrs. Smith she was in in 2005 and wanted in 2008. Who is it? Angelina Jolie. How old is she today within five? Um, 50? 42 today. She made her screen debut as a child alongside her father in Looking to Get Out in 1982. Who is her actor father? John Voight. That's That's correct. I think you did a great job today, Kimmy. I, 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 you know, you get the dinner uh, of your choice anywhere in greater central Florida. I think you did a fantastic job. Mm, yes, thanks. Kimmy did a fantastic job. And right now we're going to go back in time and honor something from trivia. Radio was That's the Riley and Kimmy Show. It was on this date, 1944. We mentioned Leonidas Witherall was first broadcast. Now, it was a radio detective series. Walter Hamden starred as Leonidas Witherall, the Shakespearean lookalike. Yes, he looked like William Shakespeare. The character looked like Shakespeare. And he worked as an instructor at a boys' school. Now, Witherall was also an amateur detective and an author at the same time. The show aired every Sunday evening, and it ended a year later, a little less than a year later, on May 6, 1945. We have three examples of this. First one is Murder on the Train from 1944, followed by The Four Killers, and then the episode The Corpse Meets a Deadline from 1945. These are uninterrupted, back-to-back, safe for all ages, all ears. Little ears can hear this. Just one note here, the recording back in when this was recorded was not the best so you will hear some scratches and pops and things like that it's amazing it has survived the course of time it was not uh, archived to be played so many years later we kick it off with murder on the train from 1944 here's leonidas witherall on the riley and kimmy show don't open that coffin you know, there isn't just a dead body in there. There might also be... Oh, the lid's coming off. Now we can see inside. W.O.R. presents the distinguished American actor, Walter Hamden, in The Adventures of Leonidas Witherall. Leonidas Witherall's always getting mixed up in murder. You wouldn't think so. He looks just like Shakespeare. It's his beard. And he's head of an important school for boys in New England. He also writes thriller stories on the side, the Lieutenant Hazeltine story. And as director of a school, Leonidas has been called to Chicago for an educator's convention. Hasn't he, Mr. Hamden? Yes, in his home at 40 Birch Hill Road, Dalton. Bill Shakespeare, as his friends call him, is about to leave for the railroad station. Valise, pince beard and all. And he's to be accompanied by the neighborhood housekeeper, the indomitable Mrs. Mullet. Forget anything, Mr. Witherall? No, I remembered everything, Mrs. Mullet. How about you? Oh, I brought everything with me when I came to work this morning. I'm still amazed at our good luck in getting Professor Murky's reservation for you. Too, too bad he's ill, of course. My sister will be so surprised to see me. 
poor thing, she's so sick. Come on, we've just a few minutes to get to the station. Uh, not that I'm anxious to be at the convention. Well, what's a convention like? Well, a man says nothing, uh, nobody listens, and uh, then everybody disagrees. Hmm, must be interesting. Uh-huh. Your delegation using the whole car? No, uh, just half of it. Uh, shall we go? Train yes. leaves at 4.20 and it's 4 o'clock now. I'll take all the baggage. Well, I can take these small things. Well, I hope there's some nice chummy folks on the train. Wonder who the other passengers will be. Well, Sparrow, where's the dough? I'll give it to you on the train, Danny. You've been stolen me, Sparrow. It's almost five weeks. This time it's the McCoy, Danny. You'll get it. When's the book going to be published? In about a month. Did you change the manuscript? No. Just the way I wrote it, huh? Just the way I wrote it, you mean? Yeah, you wrote it. Like Mahatma Gandhi, you wrote it. We went into that, Danny. Too many times. I got the manuscript. You stole it. Why'd you get so technical? I gave it to the publisher. Margie swore I wrote it. It's an open and shut case, ain't it? Margie double-crossed me. She knows it's my script. She helped me work on it. You using the same title for the book? Sure. The Big Shot. That's it. The Big Shot. It's a very hot piece of literature, Danny. When the great guy himself gets a look at that book, he's liable to blow his top. Yeah. Or yours. I'm taking that chance. It's worth it to get back at him. Every racket of his, every job he ever pulled, it's all in there in that book. The book I sweated over. You'll get paid. Don't worry. You just be on that train before 20 for Chicago. If I don't get it then, Sparrow, I'm going to cut your heart off. I know, I know. I'd kind of like to do it anyway. Just be on the train. You'll get the payoff there. So long. <laughs> You'll get the payoff, all right. The final payoff. Track eight, the commander for Chicago. Track eight, the commander for Chicago. It's 420, Mr. Witherall. Why doesn't the train leave? Uh, look out on the platform, Mrs. Mullet. You'll find the answer. See the men out there? Oh, yes. Yeah. Say, that's a funeral. Well, sort of. Uh, they look sad. Uh, that's what's delaying us. Poor fellas. Bet the dead man was a good friend of theirs that looks so sad. They're putting the coffin into the baggage car now. It won't be long. Just my luck to be on a train with a coffin. They say it's very bad luck. Tracky, the commander for Chicago. Tracky, the commander for Chicago. Easy now, Rhett. Easy, don't drop it. Look fed, you dope. Look fed. It's supposed to be a funeral. Yeah. I never thought a coffin weighed so much. All right, slide it on the wagon. The guys will roll it into the baggage cart. Now, here we go. Hey, listen, Benny. Why'd the boss want to pull the job this way? Ain't this an awful screwy way to do it? He said it's the only way, and we got to do it. Furthermore, we can't miss either. After the coffin's in the baggage car, I got the whole plan doped out. It's a good thing you got strong knives. Yeah, it ain't so hard. I take these things for granted. Guys... Brain says if I miss, it's going to be awful sad for me. Hey, they got the coffin inside. Yeah, yeah, I better get on there, believe me. The commander for Chicago. Hey, Penny, hey, Penny. Don't forget, the baby we're after is in compartment six, car five. Yeah, I know. Boss is on car five, too. Goodbye. Goodbye, Red. You're going to sit here by the coffin, mister? Yeah, I'm the guy. Gonna ride to Chicago with a stiff. <laughs> nice company I pick, huh? <laughs> well, if 
you've any time free from the convention in Chicago, Mr. Witherell, just drop over and see my collection. Finest butterfly collection in the Middle West. Yes, Mr. Lear, I'll be all a flutter to see it. Uh, my, it's late, isn't it? And here I've been talking almost forever to you and Mrs. Mullet. Oh, not forever, Mr. Lear. Just seems that way. <laughs> uh, well, it was a real pleasure to make your acquaintance. Mrs. Mullet? Good night, Mr. Lear. Mr. Witherell? Good night. I, uh, I'm going back to the observation car. I always take ten deep breaths of pure air before I go to bed. Huh? Puts new oxygen in the lungs. Oh. Uh, see you in the morning. Up you with your compartment, sir. Here's for the thank you. Well, I'd better be going to my compartment, too. I'll be in number four, you know. Then there's the one next door to here. That's six. Uh, this one's number eight, isn't it? That's right, ma'am. All right. All right. I'll make up number four, ma'am. Be back soon. Listen, Mr. Witherall. You hear the next door in number six? Why, they're all against the law. Comes right through the wall. Okay, so I double-crossed you, so what? You low-down rat. Evidently, they're not honeymoon. Go on, tell the police. You wouldn't get the first base. It's a big shot point to be printed. I'm the guy that wrote it as far as everybody's concerned, and you're just a nuisance. Now, what can you do about that? I gave up Danny on account of you. I helped him work on the book. Then I stepped all over him and swore you wrote it. And what? Because you said you and I was going places together. You gave official testimony. You can't perjure yourself. You're up a tree, and I got you there. So what? Danny's on this train. Did you know that? Sure, I told him to be here. Told him I'd pay off. But me, I don't get a nickel. Not a cent. Besides, quit chasing me around. You annoy me. You don't really mean that. He used to like me so much. Ah, embarrassing. Uh, we better stop eavesdropping, Mrs. Mullet. Why, not in your life. Just when it's getting interesting. Let's go of me. You're getting that cheap powder all over my shoulders. Don't you feel like kissing me goodnight? Get out. You'll make me sick. You don't want no part of me, huh? I get no money, no nothing. Okay. We'll see who wins the last round. Oh, hang up, will you? I want to go to bed. Mm, when I get finished with you, they'll put you to bed with a shovel. Uh, Mrs. Mullet, yeah. that's hardly the sort of idyllic conversation to make a nice lullaby. Well, I suppose you're right. Well, good night, Mr. Witherall. Good night, Mrs. Mullet. See you in the morning. I don't like this train at all. Hmm? People threatening each other. Then back there in that baggage car, that coffin. I can feel something horrible's going to happen. Something that'd freeze your blood in your veins. Good night, Mr. Witherall. Pleasant dreams. Good night. Wake up, mister. It's 2.30 a.m. Coming into Cleveland. Wake up. George. Huh? Oh, uh, yes, sir. George, it may be necessary to wake my fellow passenger in the next compartment there, but uh, could you do it with a shade less violence? Uh, I've been trying desperately to fall asleep. Well, he's going to miss Cleveland. I've got to get him up. Yes, but all you have to do is to wake one man. You're not supposed to blitzkrieg the train. He paid me $5 to make sure he gets off of Cleveland. I practically broke down this compartment door, but I can't get him up. Well, keep trying. The lucky fellow's probably a heavy sleeper. Good night. Good night, sir. Sleep well. Oh, uh... uh... I'll do it real gentle. Wake up in there! Here comes Cleveland! George, why don't you open his door and go in? Eh? Oh, it ain't right. I'm not supposed to do that. Well, if you're going to continue your present tactics, would you please get something for me? Why, yes, sir. What? A small bottle of ether. Oh, I guess I'd better go in. It's the only way. Yes. Now I can get some sleep, I hope. Oh, my goodness. Oh, 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 he's... Oh, my, my, my. Conductor! What's conductor. wrong, George? Oh, the man, the fella in there in compartment six, he's... Oh, my, my, my. Oh. What is it? What is it? That man's dead. I, I'll get my bottle. 
dead. Eh? Yes, yes. D A I D. Dead. Well, I hope your medical diagnosis is better than your spelling. What oh, happened, Mr. Witherall? George says the passenger in the compartment between us is dead. Yeah, go on in. You see. I knew it. I told you there'd be trouble. Well, let's see. Come into the compartment. Mm hmm. He's dead, all right, no matter how you spell it. Well, who is he? Yeah, I don't know. Say, that's funny. This man looks different to me. Different, George? Uh huh. Well, uh, all men's faces change a little when they die for the better. Yeah, I suppose so. Of course, I never did see him so good anyway. Now, what's up, George? The old passenger in six, he's dead. Yes. Who's this fellow? I believe the phrase is an innocent bystander, Conductor. My name is Leonidas Witherall. Anybody know the name of the dead man? Mm, evidently not. All right, I'll wire the police at our next stop. They can take over from there. Now, let's look around and see who this fellow is. Well, you should let Mr. Witherall take charge. He's used to solving murders. How do you know this man was murdered? Oh, when Mr. Witherall's around, practically everybody gets murdered uh, after a while. We don't, Mrs. Mullet. Uh, don't exaggerate. All right, folks, everybody go back to bed. Don't be holding your teacher's convention in this compartment. Say, why not let Mr. Witherall take charge? Yeah, sure. We all know him. Uh, he's sort of detective. Are you a detective, mister? You with a beard. Officially, no. Uh, occasionally, by an odd and unpredictable series of circumstances, yes. I, uh, serious, such a... Okay, so you're a detective. Well, get going. Maybe you can help find out who this dead man is. Well, here's his wallet in his hand. Uh -huh. His name's Thomas Bridges. 147 Mandalay Boulevard, Boston. Well, look. Here it is, code. It's a ticket. A return ticket from Chicago. Chicago? Well, that's strange. So it is. Well, why is it strange? We're going to Chicago, aren't we? Yes, but this man asked George to get him off at Cleveland. Oh. Think he really was bumped off, Mr. Witherall? Well, there are no signs of violence, Conductor. Uh, Mr. Witherall, I just heard. Isn't it too shocking? Oh, yes, Mr. Lear. Very unfortunate. Mm. Heart attack, probably. So probably. Some people will disobey M.N. M.N.? Mother Nature. Yes? They strain themselves so. Oh, okay, QED. Who's been hurt? Uh, this gentleman on the bed. Uh, he's dead. Well, that's not... Why, why that... Thomas Bridges? Yeah. Yeah, Bridges. Did you know him? We met in the diner. And what's your name? Margie. Margie McIntosh. That guy, I think it would be best if we all went back to sleep. When the police come, we can find out exactly what's happened. Good idea. Well, pleasant dream. Oh, excuse me, but could you tell me what's happened? Hey, what are you poking around for, mister? Well, I, I'm a writer. I, I sometimes do newspaper work. My name's Randolph. Danny Randolph. man named Bridges just kicked off. Oh, I see. Well, look, can I just take a look and see what... Did you say his name was... Bridges? That's right. Uh, we'll tell you if anything exciting develops after the police arrive, Mr. Randolph. Well, I'd appreciate it. I'm down in car 12. I'd like to know everything that happens. Uh -huh. Break it up, folks. Everybody back where you belong. I'll turn out the light, Mr. Witherall, and close the door. Yes, well, I, well uh, I'll uh, i be in the next car if you need me. Oh, thank you, Mr. Lear. So will I. But I don't think I can help much. No, you never can tell. Uh, good night, Mr. McIntyre. Uh, don't forget to tell me when the police come. Keep me up to the second. Oh, certainly, Mr. Randolph. I'll be in car seven if you want me, Mr. Witherall. All right, conductor. Well, I guess I'll be going back to my compartment. Don't go to your compartment. Why? We've got some work to do about the dead man. Now, don't tell me you're going to go sticking your nose into this. You know, every time you get mixed up in a murder, somebody tries to strangle you. Wait till the car quiets down. Won't take a second. Then we'll sneak into compartment six. What for? Well, I've been thinking of George's remark that the gentleman in the compartment looked different. Oh. Also, the fact that the original passenger in number six wanted to get off at Cleveland. And the dead man has a return ticket from Chicago. Did you say the original passenger? Yes, the corpse in six isn't the man who belongs there at all. 
I think someone else was there originally. How can you be sure? Well, in going through his trunk, I noticed that although it was equipped with a splendid wardrobe, the uh, pajamas were missing. They weren't anywhere in the room. You see, uh, the man who slept in there first must have been wearing them. Ah, the passage is empty and the conductor's obligingly lowered the light. Come on, now. Here's the door. Come in very quietly. What are you going to do? Shut the door. That's it. Now hand me those bedroom slippers on the floor. Here you are. Thank you. I just tried them on this man. Uh, wait, I- I'll get the shoes off first. There. Now, you see? The door's dead. Right. This compartment doesn't belong to Mr. Bridges at all. Where? It belongs to someone else. Someone who's wearing pajamas. Someone who undoubtedly has been murdered. Well, who? Where's the deed? Well, uh, where would you look for a dead body, Mrs. Muller? In a coffin. Hmm, clever of you. In a coffin? You mean... That the real murdered man is in the baggage car. In the coffin, brought here during the funeral. Logical, isn't it? Come on. You're not going to the baggage car, are I you? I certainly am. Now, someone's guarding that coffin. It's law. So we'll have to dispose of him. Then we can go ahead. Go ahead? With what? We can go ahead and uh, open the coffin. Yes, we can go ahead and open the... See? Peek through this little glass in the door. The man's in there sitting right beside the coffin. Miss Mullet, I'll speak to him and you stand uh, casually beside him. Then when I nod, you hit him on the head. Use anything you see. Grappling hook, hammer, heavy package, anything. Mm-hmm, that's easy. Then we'll open the coffin. Uh-uh. That's hard. Oh, let's go. I'll open the door. Hello. Hello. Hey. Don't I know you? Yeah. No. Yeah. Yeah, you look like, uh... What's the name of that bird? Uh, not bird. Bard. Shakespeare. Yeah, that's the bird. Uh, then you're acquainted with him, eh? Oh, sure. Not personal. I read uh, two of his plays. Uh, Romeo and Juliet. Two? Who's the dame? What's that? Uh, Mrs. Mullet, meet, uh, uh, what's the bird? Huh? Oh, uh, my name's Benny. Hiya. Hey, what are you two doing back here? Oh, we got restless and walked through the train and found ourselves back here. Oh, guarding that coffin, eh, Benny? Yeah. Why don't you sit down on that six-foot bungalow there and we'll split the breeze. You know, I got a great acquaintance with the works of Shakespeare. A lot of his stuff's been uh, dramatized, you know. Oh, don't say. Yeah, and all about it. All about his tragedies and comedies and errors. Say, anything happened tonight while you were watching the coffin, Benny? Huh? Yeah. Well, anyone speak to you tonight? Any strangers? Yeah, I don't know any. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just squat here watching after my boyfriend in a fine overcoat. No. Had a nice idea for him, too. You know what? I wanted to put one of them pretty flower horseshoes on the box. You know, the ones that say success. Uh, Benny, uh, there's been a murder on this train. Kind of a nut. What? And uh, I'm investigating it. Yeah? Yeah? You're very much in the way. Now, Mrs. Mullet. I'll get him. Tell you, Midsummer Night's Dream. I'll hide, Benny, behind these mailbags. Fine. Now I'll take this grappling hook and get at that coffin. Do you have to do that? It's no time to be nervous. Got this side up. Now, the other. Certainly nailed this down hard. Oh, it's very bad luck to open a coffin. There's no telling what's inside. Are you sure you have to do that? Now I can pick up the whole lid. Ready, Mrs. Mullet? Well, I'm as ready as I ever will be. Don't behave so foolishly. Coffins have been opened before. Body snatchers do it regularly. Well, not when I was around. So here goes. Why, it's a man in pajamas. 
And he's been stabbed. Just as I thought. Someone stabbed this man during the middle of the night. And then exchanged his dead body for the corpse in his coffin. They switched it, you see, with Bridges' body. But why would they do that? Cover up. This chap, whoever he is, would disappear completely, you see. He was last seen boarding this train and then vanished as if by magic. Uh, by the time his friends or relatives discovered anything was wrong, he would have been buried in this coffin. Well, what would happen to Bridges? Well, I'm sure Mr. Bridges was selected because he's the type of man nobody would be looking for. Oh. Bridges' death would be discovered by the coroner as a heart attack, which it probably was. And that would clear the killer completely, you see. Now, our first problem is, who is this man? And secondly... Who played checkers with the two cadavers? I'll bet that Benny over there knows. Then we'd better revive him. Wait. Look down the corridor. What? Someone's coming. It's that newspaper man, Danny Randolph. Quick. Hide behind these mail sacks. Duck behind here with me. All right. Is this all right? You think they can see us? No, no, no. This is fine. You see the open coffin? That's just what I want. Shh. Holy smokes. What are you doing here? Shut up. Not so loud. You noticed the same thing, huh? The wrong guy in Sparrow's compartment. Yeah, I figured somebody pulled a switch. There he is. See him in the coffin? Yeah. I'll bet you can explain how it happened. Are you crazy? I just saw when I saw that stiff in Sparrow's place. How'd you ever manage it? You sap. You don't think I stabbed him, do you? Why not? He double-crossed you. How about you? You really wrote the big shot. Sparrow stole it from you. I was going to collect from him on this train tonight. You don't think I'd knife him and lose the dough, would you? Well, maybe he was a big boy himself. He'd do anything to keep that book from being published. Uh, it might have been his royal highness, yeah. Maybe I that... could make things very hot for you, Danny. I could shoot my mouth off about Sparrow taking your book. That'd give you a terrific motive. Yeah, and I could tell a cute Leon about how you got to swear he wrote it. And then told you to go jump in the drink. We don't have to be nasty to each other, Danny. We could be friends again. I've always been kind of sorry we broke up. Haven't you? First you had me, and then you cashed me in for Sparrow. Now he's gone, you, you figure you'll take me back. <laughs> You're a high-class twist, ain't you? I'll keep quiet. We can take up where we left off. Yeah, sure. I could trust you. Wanna kiss and make up? So you can get the dough from the book, huh? Go on, scram for I push your face in. But, Danny... I'm getting out of here. This guy's no place to be with Sparrow lying in that coffin. Wait, Danny... Let me alone and keep your trap shut. Danny, come on! Danny, wait a minute. Hmm. Quite a girl, ain't she? Yes, a charming twist. Do you think she killed Sparrow? Or did Danny do it? Uh, you've forgotten the suggestion Danny made himself. Maybe it was the gentleman they called the Big Shot, who's about to be exposed by that book. Well, how can you find out who it was? Well, it seems rather simple to me. Since this is all because of the manuscript of a book, whoever has that script is the killer. We'll have to search for it in their births, in Margie's, Danny's, and... Well, Dan. how do you search the big shots? You don't know who he is. At least I can eliminate the first two. Uh, Mrs. Mullet, uh, how's your screen these days? Well, after seeing you open that coffin, should be very good. Well, I want you to stand at one end of that car up front and scream for all you're worth. All right. Then lead everyone on a merry chase all through the train. I want about three or four minutes of confusion to examine Margie's and Danny's luggage. Suppose the manuscript ain't there. Then we know the big shot did the killing and we'll have to find him. Let's go up front. All right. Leave Benny there. He seems to be resting so peacefully, uh, probably dreaming about those two plays, Romeo and Juliet. Uh, come on. Uh, ready, Mrs. Murray? Ready, Mr. Witherall. Uh, go on. <laughs>
the manuscript, Mr. Witherall? Yes, I did, and I left it where I found it, too. Who had it? It was in... Here's the station, Mr. Witherall. Police will come on. We can get to the bottom of this now. I'm so glad the police are here. I was getting so upset. Yes, I imagine this has been quite a strain for you, Miss Trace. Huh? Uh, a big pardon, Miss uh, McIntosh. What do you mean? Uh, cops will be coming on now, huh? Yeah, Mr. Randolph. Everybody stay right here. Oh, I'm so glad we'll know if anything suspicious is going on. I couldn't sleep thinking about this. Couldn't sleep at all. And that's so bad. Suspense causes an unfavorable uh, uh, glandular reaction. Uh, page, Mother Nature, Mr. Lear. Oh, oh, my head. I ought to have a doctor. I ought to insult a physician. What, Danny? Oh, there you are, huh? Hey, listen, what's the idea of We were just going to discuss the whole problem, Benny. I see down by the end of the car there that the police have arrived. Police? Yeah. Come on down here, officer. Okay. Okay. Where's the body you wired about? Right in there, compartment six. It's a man named Bridges. Officer, I think I can explain what's happened. Who are you? He's Leonidas Witherall, head of Meredith Academy. Mr. Witherall's a very good detective. Oh, I'm not a professional detective, but I can tell you about the murder that's taking place. Murder? Was Bridges murdered? No, uh, his body was secured somewhere so that a false funeral might be arranged and uh, his body in the coffin might be placed on this train. The murdered man was named Sparrow. Sparrow originally occupied this compartment. Shakespeare nothing. Sherlock Holmes. I'm glad you spoke up, Benny. Benny was a part of the plan, obviously. He was working for a man identified only as the uh, Big Shot. To keep Sparrow from printing a book about his activities, this Big Shot hired Benny to kill Sparrow, steal the manuscript, and switch the bodies. Sparrow's body's in the baggage car, officer, with a long knife in the side. I saw it. So, Benny... I didn't stab no Sparrow. I know you didn't, Benny, because you haven't got the manuscript in question. I found the script in the real murderer's luggage. Whose luggage was it? When Benny arrived at compartment six, someone had already put a knife into Sparrow. But Benny, faithfully executing his orders, switched the bodies anywhere. Where'd you find the manuscript? Now, Benny's error helped the murderer considerably. Sparrow had disappeared. No one would ever know where he'd gone. Come on, come on. Where'd you find the script? Now, that's the key to the whole problem, isn't it, Marjane? Who has it? Yes, who's done this? Come on, if you're such a detective. Tell us, Mr. Witherall. Tell us. Well, go on, go on. I found it. In Danny's briefcase. You what? It was in your briefcase, Danny. You killed Sparrow. Don't try to get off this train, Danny. You make a dive for that platform, I'll put six slugs in your back. Danny, you did do it. He stole my book. I would have made a fortune out of it. And tonight, in his compartment, he, he wouldn't pay off. We had a fight. Well, there was a knife on the table. We both went for it. And I won. That's all. I'd risk my life to write that book. I wouldn't let any man live who took it away from me. At least of all, Sparrow the skunk. Sparrow the skunk. Oh, your biological background is uh, deplorable, Danny. Deplorable. We'll take both bodies off. You come with me, Danny. Well, Miss Witherall, that was excellent. Excellent. You've a brilliant mind. You must lead a very clean, helpful life. Yes, Mr. Lear. And I wish you did, too. What do you mean? Mr. Lear, when I saw the manuscript in Danny's briefcase, I glanced for a second at a few pages. I learned who this national criminal is. The big shot. The man who hired Benny and arranged the funeral. Why, you sneaking, crummy, busybody. I it was, uh, this guy. It was Mr. Lear. This nice little man with the butterflies. Yes, this nice little man is the big shot. You'd better take him with you, too, officer. Mm-hmm. Another crook. Boy, it's going to take a lot of blue points to get all these people out of the can. All right, let's go, Daddy. Come on, you. I'm coming, I'm coming. Quit shoving, copper. I can walk on my own. Now, conductor, I think we can continue on our way to Chicago and the convention. 
It'll seem so anticlimactic now, I suppose. Everybody go back to your berths. As soon as we get the bodies off, we'll leave. And I can go to sleep at last, huh? Uh, sleep? I'm so tired. So tired. As the gentleman I'm supposed to resemble has written, sleep that knits up the raveled sleeve of care. Shut the door! The death of each day's life saw labor's bar. I'll fix that mattress, mister. Bomb of hurt minds, great nature's second cause. Well, somebody fell off the ladder climbing into an upper bird. Chief nourisher in life's feast, sleep, sleep. W.O.R. has presented the distinguished American actor, Walter Hamden, in The Adventures of Leonidas Witherall. Mrs. Mullet is played by Ethel Ramey. The character of Leonidas Witherell is from the mystery novels by Alice Tilton. The radio script is by Howard Merrill, and the program is directed by Roger Barr. Keep your eyes on the screen, gentlemen. This is a marvelous action shot of that run for a touchdown. Here it comes. Turn on the light. Quickly, turn on the light. Stop the picture. It's the man in front of me. He's He's been stabbed. Witherall's always getting mixed up in murder. Well, you wouldn't think so. He looks just like Shakespeare. It's his beard. And he's head of an important school for boys in New England. He also writes thriller stories on the side, the Lieutenant Hazeltine story. And being headmaster of an important school for boys, Witherall is often called upon to preside at school functions, isn't he, Mr. Hamden? Yes. Uh, the class of 1925 has gathered for an alumni dinner on the Meredith campus. Although being the life of the party isn't exactly to Witherall's taste... Inevitably, he has been chosen as master of ceremonies, and inevitably, too, there's the horrible necessity of an after-dinner speech. Gentlemen, 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 with us this evening are the members of that immortal backfield, famous in Meredith's football history, the Four Killers. There's Dick Underwood, who's become a world-famous publisher. His magazines and newspapers are so numerous, I doubt if even he could name them all. I became a world-famous publisher, Witherall, yes. And how and why is a different story. The other three men here know that story. I hope Witherall doesn't dwell on me too long. Brings too many memories. It's very dangerous. Dick uh, first got his start in the publishing world with Sam Graves, I believe. He and Sam were inseparable on the campus. Co-editors of the Meredith Bulletin, and Sam always ran interference for Dick on the football field. Inseparable on the campus. Best friends in the world. Witherall doesn't know about that afternoon in Dick's office, that rainy afternoon five years ago. Get out, Sam. Get out before I have you thrown out. You'll see me, Dick. You'll sit right there at that fancy desk of yours and keep your mouth shut while I tell you something. I know just what you want to say. You've had a dirty deal. So what of it? You want me to sing hearts and flowers? No, I just want to tell you that when you forced me out of this juicy business of yours, I knew exactly what you were doing. 
I knew what was going on, but I needed the money, so I had to sell my stock to you. Is that all that's on your mind? I built every magazine you own. I stayed up till two in the morning, every night, for months, editing, developing ideas, and making up dummies. Why, it was through me that you got control of every newspaper you have. Well, you've no kick coming. I paid you for the stock. Well, maybe I have no claim in court. What I have against you is just a matter of ordinary human decency. That's more important. Maybe it is, in your scheme of things. You're wasting my time, Sam. I came back to tell you, Dick, that someday I'll catch up with you. You can't take 20 years' work from a man and then brush him off with a little check for a couple of shares of stock. I knew we should have had some sad music. You'll get your sad music. I'll see to that. I suppose that's your proper way of saying you're going to get even. <laughs> you were always so obvious, Sam. Just as soon as I can arrange it, you're going to have that sad music. Funeral music. Yes, Dick and Sam have been an inspiring example of how strong and lasting a friendship can become, especially when founded in the formative days, uh, I'd almost said the halcyon days of school life. We've spoken of two members of the four killers, but we mustn't overlook the others. There's Harry Bellows. Harry's ambition was to be a lawyer, and what a prominent member of the bar he has become. Yes, the third member of our four killers has found his measure of glory, too. I'm a very successful lawyer, Witherall, but a miserable failure otherwise, because of my dear friend, Dick. Dick Underwood, the giant of the publishing field. He stole Jeanette from me, coming back from Bermuda. I tell you, you can't do this to Jeanette, Dick. We went all through that before I married her, Harry. You were supposed to be a very close friend of mine. We trusted each other. At least I trusted you. Now, look, I'm married to Jeanette now, and what happens between us is none of your business. Harry, I thought you'd be in here. Please, I don't know what you said, but it's hopeless. Just leave us alone, won't you? Have you been out on deck blabbing to him again about how I treat you? She doesn't have to. Anybody can see that she's a nervous wreck. I wanted to kill you when you first stole her from there me. There isn't anything you can do, Harry. You're just infuriating yourself. And me. That's right. Tell him that again. Of course, Jeanette, you could leave me. I'd keep Dick Jr. As a matter of fact, you two may have given me grounds for divorce. You see, Harry, you're only making trouble. Dick, I know what you're doing to Jeanette's mind, to her emotions. I thought you were a lawyer, not a psychologist. It was bad enough when you took her away from me. Now I have to stand by and watch you ruin her life. Harry, please go. I'd just love to beat some sense into you. Go on, try it. I'll split your head open. Stop it. Stop it. Oh, it's no use, Harry. Don't you understand that? You, You can't change him. And I wouldn't leave my son. I'll give you just 60 seconds to get out of this cabin and then... Never mind. I'll go. But I'll provide the finish to this, Dick. A very bloody finish it'll be, too. Let me quote from my favorite poet. Those friends thou hast and their adoption tried, grapple them to thy soul with hoops of steel. Yes, gentlemen, Harry Bellows has become a brilliant lawyer. And I imagine he owes much of his success to the warmth and encouragement of Dick's friendship. And now, the fourth member of our incomparable football combination, he's here too, Jack Gregory. Jack's become a superb artist, and I think it was Dick Underwood who first inspired him to paint. Dick believed in Jack. Dick helped him. Dick was very helpful. Yes, he did everything he could for me. For instance, when I came to his apartment that night, Three in the morning. Dick, I'm awfully sorry to bust in like this. I know it's terribly late. 
But this is so important. Oh, oh, oh. So what's the matter? You in trouble? It's my brother. May I come in? Yes, yes, come in. You've met Tommy, haven't you? Yeah, I think so. About 17, isn't he? That's right. Our parents died when we were very young. I've had to work. I never had the chance to, well, sort of look after Tommy. You didn't come here at 3 o'clock in the morning to tell me your family history, did you? Give me a chance, won't you? Go on, go on. Well, uh, Tommy's kind of a wild kid now. Come on, come on. Last night, he and two other boys stole a bracelet from the jewelry store. Well, your brother sounds to me like a plain, ordinary crook. At home, he hasn't had the right friends. A kid his age gets involved so easily. The gang would probably call him yellow if he didn't go with them on a job like that. What of it? What'd you come here for? I... I need money. Oh. The jeweler said he wouldn't prosecute if we pay for the broken window a new lock and give him cash for his insurance. The rate'll go up, you see. Well? Well... I'm not working now. I used my last cent to pay the rent. The whole thing comes to a hundred dollars. Would you give it to me, Dick? I've got a swell possibility, a job that's coming up next month. Next month? You might not get a job for a year. We're in a depression, you know. A hundred dollars wouldn't mean a thing to you, Dick. But it'd keep my brother out of jail. Sorry, Jack, your credit isn't very good. I never thought you'd put it to me on a business basis. Well, you're asking for money, aren't you? That's business. They're not working. Probably won't get a job for a long time. I'm trying every day. Looks like a bad investment. You mean a boy's life is either a good cash investment or it isn't? Is that what you want to say? Now, please, let's not go into abstractions. You're asking for a loan, and I'm turning you down. If my brother gets locked up, he's through. He's licked. That's his business. Haven't you asked your other friend? Somebody maybe who's a little more sentimental? Most of my friends are broke. The loan companies turn me down because I'm unemployed. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm not going to risk good money just because your brother's a crazy kid without enough sense to keep out of trouble. The answer is no. All right. I won't beg. <laughs> oh, I'm going to bed. Dick, how about half of it? Would you give me a start, give me a chance? Say $50? If I wanted to risk 50 I'd risk 100 Good night, Jack. You'll forget about this in a few minutes. But I won't. I'll remember it as long as I live. And if my brother goes to jail, Dick, and comes out the way I think he will, you'll pay for it, all right. The hard way. Yes, uh, Jack probably owes a lot to Dick Underwood. And Dick, in his turn, was inspired by Jack to dare and to do. I think the magnificent friendship between all the four killers is a symbol of the whole class of 25. Of course, while these four men were in the spotlight... We all know one other gentleman was in large part responsible for their brilliant record on the football field. Yes, in every game they played, they were supported by that sturdy tackle, Curly Foster. Curly Foster is the eminent Dr. Foster now. But I'll wager the good doctor hasn't forgotten the old days here at Meredith, the days of his comradeship with Dick Underwood. I haven't forgotten Meredith, no, because it was here that Dick learned to despise me. Here that he planned his vengeance, a vengeance I didn't know about or expect until after I finished my internship. Then, that night in the executive office of the hospital... Dick. Uh, Dick, wait a minute. I want to talk to you. Oh, hello, Curly. What's on your mind? Sit down. I've been trying to reach you all week. Ah, look, uh, I have a dinner in here. It'll keep. uh, This won't take long. Well, what is it? Last Friday, I was dropped out of research. Oh, really? Oh, for the same... 
Well, you can always go into some other field. I was dropped out of research on account of you. Me? Don't be silly. What did I have to do with it? You're a director of this hospital, and what you say goes. I found out that you killed my appointment to work under Dr. Manson. Well, I did nothing of the sort, old boy. I merely... You did it a cheap way, too. You didn't come out in the open and say you disapproved of me. No, you made remarks about me, about my personality, about my ability. You told a couple of rotten lies about me, too. And everyone believed them, because you're the great Magoo around here. Well, frankly, you do have kind of a jittery personality, Curly, and I didn't think that you were quite the man for the job. I became a doctor so I could do research. <laughs> this is going to make it impossible for me to get into research anywhere else. Oh, I'll never be able to live down being dropped here, and, and I can never in my life stop those stories. Do you know what that can do to someone trying to start out in medicine? Do you know I might as well take the ten years I've put into this and toss them out the window? Telling me I can't do research is like cutting off my right hand. Oh, don't exaggerate, Curly. I'm not going to endanger the success of the department with an unpredictable man. I had the highest rating in my graduating class. Mansfield said he was looking forward to working with me. Well, we all have our little setbacks. I knew you were a four-flusher ever since you were 15. Why? I was the only kid in Meredith who had you down for what you were, and you loathed me for it. You'll never be much as a doctor, Curly. You're too excitable. Too many fantastic ideas. Get this, Dick. Last Friday, you blew my career up in smoke. You started something when you did that, and I'm going to have the last word. The very last word. Yes, Dick was a director of the hospital where Curly Foster served his internship, and I'm sure that there he was a source of hope and a real assistance as Dr. Foster began his life's work. Now, uh, before we go on speaking of other personalities for you, from Sam Gray. You want to show the picture now, Mr. Witherall? Uh, yes, Sam. Sam's not only been very active as a publisher, you know, but he's quite an amateur scientist and uh, a photography expert. He has the motion picture scenes of the campus back in the 20s. Highlights of the four killers in action. Oh, yes, I, I have the projection machine set up right back there. We can start at any time. Uh, have, you, have you got the Digby game, Sam? Oh, you will see shots of every game we played, Harry. Well, I never knew that you took pictures, Sam. There are lots of things about me you didn't know, Dick. Now, wait till I focus this thing. Can I help you, Sam? No, Jack, sit down. There's nothing to it. Lights out, please. Has to be pitch black in here. Go ahead. Stop the show. Right. Now, I'll explain the picture as we go along. If I have to stand in back of this machine. If my voice sounds muffled or funny, let me know, and I'll try to talk louder. We'll hear some music later. I have a sound record dubbed with a film. Uh, when will I get that turning? Yep, okay. There are the four killers. There you are, Dick. Well, look at me. Three uniforms we had, weren't they? There you are, Harry. Yeah, we're number 13. That's their good old 13. That's back. The smiling quarterback, remember? <laughs> I think I look like a toothpaste ad. Now, here's the big game. Watch closely. Dick pulls a spinner and goes about 20 yards. Gee, you see that? Boy, hey, now the crowd stands up and cheers. Yes, He's going down the line. Down the... Wait, wait. Stop everything. What? Turn on the light. Quickly, turn on the light. It's Dick. I saw a shadow standing over him with a knife. I'll switch the light on. There we are. Dick. He's been stabbed. Somebody stabbed him while you were showing the picture, Sam. I think... I think he's dead. Oh, no, that's incredible. He, uh... Hmm, I'm afraid you're right, Jack. He's dead. Yes, but I, but I, I, I can't I, believe it. 
stabbed in the back. Uh, Dr. Foster, will you take a look at him? Maybe he's still alive. Now step aside, will you? Let's see him. Mm. Mm-hmm. Knife went through his back and penetrated his heart. Oh, oh gentlemen, gentlemen. Uh, doctor, you telephone the police? I will, Mr. Witherall. I'll use the phone down the hall. I don't think you should have sent for the police, Mr. Witherall. Not yet, anyway. Well, why not, Sam? Well, Dick was a very prominent man. There'll be a terrible uproar if the newspapers find out that he's been murdered. It might be smarter to think first what we'll say, how much we'll tell them. Besides, we've... Well, we've all got reputations to worry about. I agree with Sam. I think we should lock the doors and try to work this out ourselves. If you make this public, everyone would be subjected to rumors, suspicions, accusations. We can't let that happen. I think you and Sam are covering up, Jack. You're a lawyer, Harry. I presume you've some basis for saying that. I don't see why we shouldn't turn it over to the police immediately, that's all. Uh, You've a reputation for being mixed up in murders, Mr. Witherall. Yes, uh, mixed up, uh, thoroughly mixed up. uh... But you've solved some killing. Oh, I've merely helped the solution along. Uh, As the gentleman they say I resemble has written, Murder, though it has no tongue, will speak. With most miraculous organs. Maybe you can help work this one out. Yes. Uh, ordinarily, I'd prefer that the police handle it. But uh, since we're at Meredith and you're all alumni... And you're liable to get that beard of yours into a lot of trouble. It's a very durable beard and has come safely through many perils. Well, I'll do what I can till the police arrive. Uh, will you please be quiet, gentlemen, and uh, remain seated? Now, uh, let's see... Uh, Dick was sitting there in that chair. Hmm? Harry, you were... I was behind him. Oh, I see. Behind him. And Jack? I was to his left. To his left. I was working the projection machine back there. That would eliminate you, Sam. Looks as though either Jack or I were guilty then, doesn't it? No, there are a dozen other men in this room. In that pitch darkness, anyone could have walked up behind Dick and... uh, Plunged a knife into his back? Just the same. I think it was one of the four of us. The four killers. You mean one of the four killers has taken the title literally? I called the police. They're on the way over. Yes. Oh, thank you, Doctor. Have you seen Dick lately, Curly? Yes, he was guest speaker at a medical dinner I attended a month ago. Maybe your theory about it being one of the four killers isn't right, Harry. You're not implying that I stabbed Dick, are you? Mm, Well... Oh, anyone in the room could have... Harry, uh, you seem rather convinced that Dick Underwood was murdered by one of the remaining members of the famous quartet. Now, look, Mr. Witherall, everything you said tonight about all of us, I mean... Oh, Harry, now, don't start that. Go on. I don't think anything should be concealed now. All right, the four of us, Dick, Sam, and Jack, and myself, we weren't the happy little group you described. Not at all. We hated Dick. Mm, And I thought I'd made such a moving speech. However, let us see if murder will find its tongue and speak. I'm a lawyer, Mr. Witherall. I know just how much can be brought out by questioning. I don't see any point in everyone's being coy. I despise Dick because he took away the girl I loved and married her and then made her miserable. Jeanette, that's Dick's wife. She's in the sanitarium now. Nervous breakdown, they call it. You seem to be working yourself up to a breakdown. Well, wouldn't you be in my place? Now, besides Jeanette, there's the fact that you may accuse me of murder. Do you specialize in worrying about things before they happen? Why are the two of you so quiet? You hiding something? I have nothing to hide. I'll tell my story. Good. Witherall, if we go on, we'll reveal some mighty unpleasant things. Yes. Um, you were saying, Jack... Uh... Dick turned me down when I wanted money to keep my brother out of prison. He could have spared it easily. My brother died a year later in jail. I'm a productive remark. I swore I'd kill Dick for that. I'm glad he died. I'm sorry I didn't have the honor of getting him out of the way. Mm, It seems that Dick was even more attractive than I pictured him. Both of you wanted to kill him, eh? 
Go on, Sam. Go on, you haven't spoken yet. I don't intend to. I'll talk when I'm questioned by the authorities. Listen, you. If you've got something to say, get it over with. We want to know who killed Dick, and we want to know fast. Go on, Sam. Or shall I tell some of the story myself? About how you worked for 20 years for Dick. And then he chiseled you. Ah, a third motive, huh? We're moving toward our objective uh, faster than the four of you on the gridiron. Too fast, perhaps, uh... Sam, I was thinking uh, we should first show that film again. What is it? Oh, there's no sense to that. You want us to turn out the lights and give the killer another chance to murder somebody? Why, well, imagine the killer was after Dick. I don't think he's going to repeat the performance, unless, of course, he was so dazzled by his first job that he feels obliged to provide an encore. Why do you insist on showing the film again? I'll only have to rewind it and go through a rigmarole. I want to see the film again because of uh, something curious. Uh, What's that? While you were talking, Sam, in the dark, explaining the pictures, I heard a ticking sound. Well, what of it? Well, when the lights went on, I noticed uh, there isn't any clock in this room. Oh, I don't want to run through that film again. It's a silly nuisance. Sam, run the film again. You don't think I had anything to do with the murder, do you? Why, I was standing in back of the projector. You heard me talking every second while that film was on. Ran the film and stopped stalling. Just because somebody heard ticking. I'm going to examine the film eventually. You might as well clear it up now. I'll put it on if he won't. All right, okay. I'll rewind it. Grease and dust all over my hands fooling with this gadget. You think that idea you have will lead us to the killer, Mr. Witherall? <laughs> you? I mean, when the lights go out and we see the film. Since you seem to be on his trail. Whoever killed Dick's liable to have a go at you. A go at me? Well, I'll have to take that chance. Well, all right. The film's ready. I'm not going to run the whole business again. Just the first part. Uh, Sam, I'd appreciate it if you would run the entire sequence just as it appeared when Dick Underwood was stabbed. Okay, okay. Lights out. Now, here goes. There are the four killers. There we are. There you are, Dick. Dick. There you are. You crazy, Dick. Sam. What'd you say that for? There Dick's lying are, there Dick. dead. There you are, Dick. There you are, Dick. What's wrong with there you, Sam? You are, what are you Dick. talking that way there for? The sound Dick. record is stuck, gentlemen, just as the film is. The sound record? Yes. Uh, if you turn on the lights, I can explain. Rotten luck, eh, Sam? To have planned your murder so successfully, so carefully, only to have the sound record stick. Sam kills Dick? I'll find the light switch. Wait. Here we are. Look at Sam. Look! Slumped over the machine. He's been stabbed. He's dead. Yes, the murderer did provide an encore. It's Dick. I saw a shadow standing. It's Dick. I saw a shadow standing. It's Dick. I saw a shadow standing. Sam's dead, but I still hear his voice. I saw a shadow standing. Stop the sound. I saw it. Doctor, same story? Same story. Stabbed in the back, knife penetrated the heart. Died in a split second. Seems to be the work of a pretty trained hand. Will you either accuse me directly or stop making remarks at my expense? How could Sam keep on talking after he died? Well, uh, he was a very clever amateur scientist, remember? It's obvious he recorded his description of the film on that soundtrack. He had a double track, you see. One that would seem innocent enough when played. And the other was a recording he made of his own voice. He thought that would give him a perfect excuse. He could say he was standing by the machine talking, while actually he was creeping in the dark toward Dick to stab him. He had it all planned, you see, even to the point of discovering the murder he'd just committed. I'll turn on the sound. Listen to the dead man speak. It's Dick. I saw a shadow standing over him with a knife. 
It ticks. See? I what was that ticking noise? Oh, it happens very often. He made his record in a room where there was a clock, but he didn't notice it. He even went to the trouble of apologizing for what might seem to be a strange voice quality. Uh, do you remember that? All that work, and he never got to kill Dick anyway. Or did he? No, confounded, I was wrong. Sam's elaborate mechanism took me up a blind alley. I seem to have been the true expert. I avoided the small errors as I swept on to the grand fallacy. Evidently, Sam started toward Dick, but reached him too late. The real murderer who killed both of these men got there first. And who is the real murderer? Well, when Sam was behind Dick, he bumped into the killer. Couldn't see him, of course, but he could touch him in the dark. Then the killer, knowing Sam had spotted him, took advantage of our second showing of the film to silence poor Sam. Hmm, a gentleman, uh, I have a rather strange request to make. Uh, would you all uh, remove your coats and uh, pass them to me? Surely, we'll cooperate any way we can. Here's mine. Uh, thank you, Doctor. Is this another tremendous idea like showing the film again? Another blind alley? I'd appreciate your coat, Harry. Well, all right. Here. Here. Here's mine. Jack? Here's mine. All right, take them. Now, now, that'll do nicely, gentlemen. What are you looking for? Yes, what's the idea? Well, if you look at the late Sam's hands, uh, they're grimy, as he said, soiled, uh, covered with grease and dust from operating the projector. It occurred to me, if he did touch the murderer in the dark, groping toward Dick, there'd be a spot on the murderer's coat from Sam's hand. Did you find a spot on someone's coat? Yes, I did. On someone. On whose? On... Ah, the first of that question... Okay. Who put in that call? I did. Those two bodies been moved, or were they just that way? Just that way, officer. Everybody in the room was around when they were stabbed? Yes. Okay. I got hold of Sergeant McCobble. He'll be here in a few minutes. Then we'll start the investigation. You don't have to. Mr. Witherall knows who committed the murder. Yes. Tell us, Mr. Witherall. On whose coat did you find the spot? Jack, uh, yours. On, on Jack's? Mm-hmm. Watch him, officer. Officer... You've two dead bodies and the murderer. A rather a well-tied package, eh? Stay where you are, you. I'm not going to try to escape or even alibi for what I did. I have only one thing to ask. When I go on trial, try me for Sam's murder, not Dick. Sam's death was inexcusable. It was out-and-out murder. But Dick's, that was justice. Killing Dick was the only thing to do. Perhaps, Jack, and perhaps not. For to quote the bearded poet I resemble, if to do were as easy as to know what were good to do, chapels had been churches, and poor men's cottages, princes' palaces. Ah, watch into Venice. Act one, scene two. Correct, officer. Uh, what line? Line number 13. Here, officer, take my gavel. You're going to preside at the dinner. Where are you going? To walk your beat. <laughs> W.O.R. Mutual has presented the distinguished American actor, Walter Hamden, in The Adventures of Leonidas Witherall. The character of Leonidas Witherall is from the mystery novels by Alice Tilton. The radio script is by Howard Merrill, and the program is directed by Roger Bauer. 
In next week's story, Leonidas attends a state fair, doesn't he, Mr. Hamden? Yes, uh, Leonidas borrows a horse and buggy and goes to the state fair with his friend, Mrs. Mullet, who has entered a jar of preserves in the state fair contest. Of course, at the fair, Witherall can't resist the shooting gallery. Okay, step up, step up. Every man his own commando. Ten shots for a quarter. Try your skill. All right, mister. Take your shot, your page a quarter. Go right ahead. Uh, what's the uh, most difficult thing to hit? You knock off that little clay pipe and you get a box of delicious homemade milk chocolate. Now, watch me. Trifle. Why, what's happening? Look, you see what's coming from behind that target? Dripping onto the floor? That's blood, mister. There's a body behind that target. But, uh, I, I didn't, uh, I didn't know anyone was... You didn't, huh? We'll see about that. Mister, you just committed murder. Yes, at the state fair, Leonidas discovers the strangest, most unbelievable techniques for committing homicide. It's a very unusual story, and I hope you'll be listening next Sunday. And now, good night. Thanks for everything, boss. Maybe I can repay the favor sometime. Maybe I can do something for you, like cutting your throat. Tonight's adventure, The Corpse Meets the Deadline. Leonidas Witherall is the New England schoolmaster who looks like Shakespeare and is always getting mixed up in murders. At the moment, Mr. Witherall has gone to the city desk of the Dalton Herald. It's a very urgent mission on behalf of his housekeeper, Mrs. Mullet. And Leonidas, along with Mrs. M., is explaining it to the Herald's editor, Mr. Forrest. Uh, you see, Forrest... Uh, yes, Leonidas? Uh, Mrs. Mullet here is... Uh, uh, what's your title, Mrs. Mullet? I'm director of public relations for the Dalton's Ladies' Aid and Get-Together Society, early Wednesday afternoon group, section two. Leaving on track seven? And our group's holding a special meeting tomorrow. They're having a guest lecturer, Forrest. Oh, really? Who is it? We're having Mrs. Hildegard Fish, who wrote South American Question Mark and Balkan Riddle. She's going to speak on Russia, Russia, what does it mean? Completely baffled, isn't she? And you want us to mention it in the Herald, huh? Mention it? Well, if you could uh, eliminate the news about General Eisenhower and General Patton and just turn, say, uh, ten columns over to Mrs. Mullet's group, Forrest. Uh... Aside from Mrs. Fish, we're having an election and our spring tea dance. Going to be a big day. All right, Mrs. Mullet. We'll see that you get all the space you deserve. Mm. How's that, Mrs. Mullet? I told you we could persuade Mr. Forrest. Persuade him? Why, he should be glad. I'm giving him a scoop. Oh, I am, Mrs. Mullet. We don't often get a break like this. There you are, Forrest. Mr. Bennett. Hello, Mr. Bennett. How do you, Forrest, Bennett? you're a stupid, irresponsible, cheap, yellow journalist. Now, look, Bennett, all I did... Look at this paper of yours. Look uh, at that picture. On the front page, too. I told you not to print that horrible picture of my daughter. There's no harm in that. Running this picture of that rotten gambling den with all those crooks there at the table, my daughter. I can't help it if your daughter visits gambling joints, Bennett. The girl's just 18 years old. She went out on a date. She's no idea where they were going. Just the same, she was there. She wanted to leave the minute they got to that... That evil, iniquitous place. But she didn't leave. The cops came in and our man got the picture. It's not our fault that she's in it. Well, Forrest, I told you yesterday not to print it. Sorry, Bennett. It was the only shot we had, and a good one, too. Oh, you've ruined my daughter's reputation. You've disgraced her. Oh, don't be such a blue nose, Bennett. Now, if you don't mind, I'm busy. I've got an addition to get out. I ought to thrash you, Forrest. I oh. ought to treat you the way my grandfather handled a smart-aleck newspaper man out west. He got a horsewhip. 
And he whipped that editor within an inch of his life. If you don't watch your tongue, Bennett, I'll have you thrown out of this office. Oh, you wouldn't dare. Uh, no, 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 Mr. Bennett. I, I don't want to interfere, but uh, perhaps if you'd uh, cool off... You keep your beard out of this, Witherall. And you mind your tongue, Mr. Bennett. Forrest, you filthy... Get away from this desk, Bennett. Yes, let me get my hands on you. You're so Forrest. Mr. Bennett, the I'm going voice. to show you. Let go of me, brother. Mr. Bennett, take your hands off. I will... You let go of him, Mr. Bennett. Oh, Mr. Mr. Bennett, or I'll... All right. All right. You crazy fool. Get out of here. I warn you. All right, Forrest. I'm getting out now. But this isn't the end of it. Go on. I'll see that justice is done, Forrest. I'll see that you're taken care of no matter how far I have to go. Hmm. Looks as though Mr. Bennett's going to be a very serious problem, Forrest. Oh, him, Leonidas? No, I'm... I'm used to that. He seems to be extremely excitable. You've got him all wrong. Sure, he'll rave and rant for a while, write letters and... Then you calm down. Well, I hope so. It doesn't seem as trivial as that, though. I know, Bennett, he's a very headstrong old gentleman. And your printing that picture has defiled his little child's good name. Oh, forget it, Leonidas. Oh, come on, I, I don't often have you down here. Suppose I show you and Mrs. Mullet around the place. Uh, feel like uh, touring the plant? Oh, I'd love to. Lead uh, on, Macduff. I'd like to see the room where the news tickers are. Mr. Mullet knew a lot about news, you know. He had a definition of news, Mr. Witherall. Uh, was it by any chance about uh, a dog? Well, that's right. He said that when a dog bites a man, that's not news. But when a man bites a dog... Uh, tell me. Yes? Anyone ever take a good bite out of Mr. Mullet? Well, how did you know? <laughs> Uh, these are the linotype machines, Leonidas. Oh, well, quite a formidable array of them, Forrest. Yeah. Could we go over to one of them and get a closer look? Oh, sure, come on. Uh, Pat Welch over there will explain his machine to you. Uh, Pat. Yes, Mr. Forrest? Uh, let up a second, Pat. We have visitors. This is Mr. Witherall and um, Mrs. Mullet. How do you do? How do you do? Uh, Pat here was once a publisher himself. No, really? Yes, but... I don't talk about it much. Uh, Pat had uh, an unpleasant experience. Uh, lost his paper. It was very sad, Leonidas. Uh, terribly sad. The machines worked like a big typewriter, you see. You push the keys and they cut letters on what we call lead slugs. Yes, uh, Pat had big ideas once, but he, um, he had to learn. The lead isn't wasted. After we print the paper, it's melted down again. Of course, uh, lots of us have to learn. We all make mistakes. It's evident, Forrest, that Pat would rather not talk about his old career. Now, uh, where do you melt down the lead? Oh, we have it in those big cauldrons. Uh, you see them on the platform up there? Uh, they're right over your head. Oh, yes. You see the steam coming off? Well, that's piping hot lead in that cauldron, boiling like a noodle soup. Ah, noodle soup. Get that, <laughs> Mrs. <Yes>. Mullen? <laughs> well, the slugs are melted right in there, you see, and then we cool it and feed it down to the machines. Well, where are the presses? That's another thing I want to see. Oh, we'll go there now. We're running an edition, so you'll see the whole works. Running an edition? Well, shouldn't you do something first about my story, the ladies' literary group? Oh, yes, Forrest. Mrs. Mullet would like you to stop the presses for it. Oh, we'll get it in the next edition, Mrs. Mullet. I put our top reporter on the job. Uh, Jackie Bigelow, the minute I get back upstairs. Hmm. Jackie's our best man, you know. You'll do your story You sent for me, Mr. Forrest? Yes, Jackie. I just left Leonidas Witherall. He had some woman with him. And Mrs. Mullet. Mullet? Yeah, I know her. Sort of a neighborhood housekeeper up around the Birch Hill section. Yes, well, she's having a taffy pull for a ladies' club. Get one of the kids out front to call it Witherall's. Get the whole story. Write a couple of sticks for the three stars. All right. That's all, Jackie. You can go. 
That's all as far as you're concerned, Forrest, yes, but I want to do a little talking. This is just as good a time as any. Well, hurry up. I've got a desk full of copy here. Uh Uh-huh. You know what it's about? It's about a phone conversation you had with Cosmopolitan Syndicate. Oh, that wasn't anything. Oh, that wasn't anything, huh? I worked for six months to get Cosmopolitan to make me that offer. You wouldn't have enjoyed being a foreign correspondent, Jackie, especially in Chungking. It's tough grind. Thank you. I wouldn't, huh? That just happens to be why I got into this newspaper racket. All my life I've wanted to be a foreign correspondent. You knew that. They asked me for a frank opinion, Jackie. I told them I thought you were a pretty fair reporter. Don't lie to me, Forrest. You told them I was a punk reporter. I found out. You did that for one reason. Because you're naturally a louse. What an imagination you've got, Jackie. You didn't want to lose a good man yourself. These days that's tough, isn't it? Well, you cut it. I couldn't get into this man's war the regular way. The army turned me down. You knew that, too. You knew I'd been eating my heart out covering this small town junk. Or just a little way down the railroad tracks, the whole bloody world's on fire. Still the velocity. You killed my chance, Forrest. I'll never get out of this town now. It might be a year, two years, maybe forever. That was my one big chance, and you fixed it, so I'd miss the boat. Lay off, Jackie. I'm going to... You heard me. Lay off. City desk, Forrest. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Right. Get into that jalopy of yours and beat it over to the Perkins shipyards. Burning up. Three alarms have gone out. Okay, I'm on my way. And thanks, Forrest. Thanks for everything. Maybe I can do something for you sometime. Like cutting your throat. What can I do for you, Mr. Bennett? Well, I've come here to your place, Mr. Witherall, to apologize for my behavior this morning at the Herald office. It uh, was uh, deplorable, Mr. Bennett. But, of course, uh, you felt printing that picture of your daughter was very embarrassing. That's just the point. I wanted to apologize to you, but I certainly don't intend to retract anything I said to Forrest. In fact, I want your help. Really, Mr. Bennett? Isn't this uh, much ado about nothing? As the poet said, you have too much respect upon the world. They lose it that you buy it with much care. Mr. Witherall, I realize that legally I haven't a leg to stand on. So I decided the best thing to do is to blacklist that newspaper. Mr. Bennett, I hardly think your personal grudge against Mr. Forrest justifies organizing a huge boycott. Oh, but it does. That man has to learn that tactics like his won't be tolerated in Dalton. Here's your coffee, Mr. Witherall. And yours, Mr. Bennett. Oh, thank you, Mrs. Moore. Thank you. Now, Mr. Witherall, about blacklisting the Herald, if a group of prominent citizens of Dalton, led by you and me... Uh, you'll have to excuse Mrs. Mullet, the uh, season enthusiast. Oh. Agent number five, that's Hank McCarthy. Number three, well, that's Jimmy. Gracious, they're all out. I'll bet it's three alarms in me. Oh, dear, I wish I'd have gone. I could swing a mean hose myself, you know. Get your number two hose out. Move the ladder over. It's too close to the other building. Come on, come on, get the ladder out of your pants. Well, well, if it ain't the Hell Star Reporter. Hiya, Jackie. Hello, Chief. Well, it's a nice little blaze you got. Yeah, it's sunny, Jackie. But we'll have it mixed soon. Anybody got any idea about how it started? That's what has us wondering, Jackie. It looks phony. You mean it wasn't an accident? Well, now, I don't want to be quoted as saying I'm positive. But I wouldn't be surprised if this shipyard's burning because of saboteurs. No kidding. Saboteurs. Yeah, I said I'm not positive, Jackie. But we suspect it. Thanks, Chief. I gotta go call the desk. Brother, sabotage in little old Dalton. Me for that telephone. Well, what is this today, Pat? Everybody's after me for something. Now, what do you want? Forrest, 
This morning, when you brought Witherall down to the linotype department, you sort of went out of your way to take a couple of pot shots at me. Oh, about the way you once owned a paper, Pat? Well, that struck me as a funny story. A little sidelight on one of my employees. You like that idea, don't you, that I'm just one of your employees now? Pat, in San Francisco ten years ago, when you started a paper that you said would put mine out of business, I warned you, I said not to try it. Because you wanted to be the boss of the whole show, huh? You weren't making enough money. You had to squeeze the life out of any paper that tried to get started in the same town. I was just meeting competition, Pat. Yeah, by having my delivery boys beaten up in dark alleys. By sideswiping my trucks so the two of my drivers spent a year in the hospital. By knocking over any stand that carried my papers. And by breaking that poor Italian peddler's neck. That was just an accident, Pat. Sure, that's what the police called it. But I've got another version. I know you've got blood on your hands, Forrest. And you wrecked me. I lost every penny I had trying to buck you. I told you then, don't try it. Remember? All I remember is that you're a crooked chiseler who ruined my business. You're a gangster and a killer and I'd... Yes? Forrest, this is Jackie Biglow. I'm at the Perkins shipyard. Yeah, what have you got? Better hold the three-star for a replay. This ain't no ordinary fire. Looks like sabotage. Sabotage? What's he saying? Sabotage at the shipyard? You stay there, Jackie. Get busy. Dig up everything you can. Don't lose touch with me. Now, give me the details of what you know. City desk, Forrest. Boss, this is the press room. Number three and four presses just broke down. Broke down? Now? Oh, and me with a replate on that sabotage story of all the condemned... Why can't you guys fix it? Well, nobody down here, boss. They're all out for lunch. Wow. Besides, it's something very screwy. Usually I can fix it myself, but I... Can't figure out what's wrong this time. That would happen now. Ye gods, what kind of a day is this? Everything's going wrong. You better hurry, boss. Sorry, but I'm afraid you'll have to take a look at it yourself. Okay, I'm on my way down. This business will drive me nuts. Nuts! What's wrong with these presses? Where is everybody? What do I pay people for? The presses are bollocked up and there's nobody here of, of all that... Hey... Hey, what are you doing up there? Come down off that platform. Get away from those cauldrons. There's hot lead in there. Are you crazy? Don't push them over. Don't, 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 don't. I'll answer it, Mr. Witherall. Mrs. Bullard, is Mr. Witherall in? Why, yes, Mr. Bennett. Ah, another visit, Mr. Bennett? You're quite determined about the Herald, aren't you? Mr. Witherall, something's happened, something horrifying. Oh, what is it? It's Forrest. Oh, has the editor printed another inflammatory picture? No, no, it isn't that. Forrest is dead. Really? He's been murdered. It's all over town. It is, and I didn't know it. Hmm, you must be slipping, Mrs. Muller. Of course, since he's dead, well, you know the consequences. Sure, they'll have to turn in his ration book to the OPA. How did he die, uh, Mr. Bennett? Well, in a pretty gruesome way. Oh? He, he was evidently trapped. He was alone in the press room when the killer dumped one of those huge kettles of boiling lead over him. Say, that's a new one. And uh, the body was found in the press room? No. The murderer took the body and dumped it down a chute, the chute where the papers come off the press and roll out onto the delivery trucks. And just a little while ago, the body came rolling down the chute along with the newspapers. Now, Mr. Bennett, um, why have you come here to tell me about this? Well, I know you've been mixed up in murders, Mr. Witherall, and that you've been rather successful at solving them. Yes, and I heard you threatening Forrest. You weren't by any chance near the Herald building at the time of the murder. Heaven help me, I was in the building. 
But you know nothing about the murder, of course. Absolutely. I've never been in the Herald press room in my life. I don't know a thing about kettles of hot lead or delivery chutes. Hmm, you'd have a little difficulty, Mr. Bennett, proving that. I realize that. That's why I'm here, Mr. Witherall. Would you represent me? Well, frankly, Mr. Bennett, I don't uh, represent anyone. If you uh, think my looking into the story might clarify it or speed the solution... That's all I ask. I want you to come to the Herald office now and get at the truth. We're going to look into the murder, huh? I'll get to the bottom of this. Where's my hat? Where's my coat? Yes, and don't forget your bloodhound. So, uh, you see, Sergeant McCobble, Mr. Bennett claims he knows nothing about Mr. Forrest's death. Mr. Bennett? Yes, Sergeant? You admit that you were here in the Herald building at 3.30, huh? When Forrest's body came down that chute? That's right, Sergeant. But I had nothing to do with it. What were you doing here, Mr. Bennett? Well, I, I was on the street floor. I decided to come back and demand that Forrest print an explanation, an apology for printing my daughter's picture. But you never got up here to the city desk, uh, Mr. Bennett? No, Mr. Witherall. I changed my mind and I left. Now, you see, Shakespeare, you can't expect me to believe stories like that, can you? Wait till you hear the fairy tale that Linotyper's got. Hey, boy, it's a dilly. Don't mind Sergeant McCobble, Mr. Bennett. They figured, figured morale in the police force was too high, so they took him in. Ah, Mrs. Mullinson again. She's the only overage destroyer that never got to Britain. What's that? Tut, 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 tut. Now, isn't that the Linotyper coming now, Sergeant McCobble? That's the guy, Shakespeare. Name's Pat Welch. Uh, over here, Pat. Sergeant, I told you my story once. I want Mr. Witherall to hear it, Pat. <clears throat> Get this, Shakespeare. It's a honey. Well, I work in the Lanotype department. I came up here to Forrest's office to talk about the next edition. Then Jackie Biglow, the reporter, telephoned from the shipyard while I was in Forrest's room. Then I left him and went downstairs. That was, oh, about 3.15, I think. You're rather definite <clears throat> about the time, Pat. Yes, I looked at the clock when I got back to the Lanotype department. Then I got a telephone call saying my mother was sick. You see what I mean, Shakespeare? About fairy tales? Why didn't you go the whole hog, Pat? Say that you had to leave because your grandmother died. Or did you pull that when they get to a ball game? That's the truth, Sergeant. I swear it. That your whole story, Pat? No. As soon as I heard about my mother, I ran to the elevator to get home. But I got stuck inside. I presume the elevator operator can confirm that. No. It's a self-starting elevator. There isn't any operator. But it's stuck. The superintendent will swear to that. It hasn't been fixed yet. I've got a little nephew, Pat. He's four years old. The kid could make up a better story than you've got. Pretty sure of yourself, ain't you, Sarge? Now, look, Mrs. Mother. It's time for spring cleaning. Why don't you go home and rearrange the dirt? Why no, 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 no. Suppose we that. save the second-hand wit for amateur night and get on with finding the sparrow that killed Cock Robin. Pat, um, where's the main switchboard? Downstairs. Going down there, Shakespeare? If you'll excuse me, Sergeant, yes. It's possible that the phone girl can confirm whether or not Pat received a call after three this afternoon. Okay, go on, I'll wait here. Look, Mr. Witherall, you said you'd help me. Now you're wandering off to corroborate this man Welch's story. Mr. Bennett, our objective was the truth, remember? Good afternoon. Oh, I'm sorry, Mr. Forrest is out. He's getting a fitting for a wooden suit. Yes, yeah, somebody didn't like his face, so they pushed I, him into uh, that. I your pardon. I understand your name is Ruth. That's and... right. 
Gee, says if you don't look like what's his name, um, Shakespeare. Mm, if I could only write like him, too. But my name is only Witherall, uh, Ruth. Oh, that's it. You're from Meredith Academy. Yes. I'm uh, curious about what happened earlier this afternoon to uh, what's-his-name Forrest. Oh, oh, that. Gee, Pat Welch is in a fix, huh? Everybody knows him and Forrest hated each other's guts, if you'll let... Pardon the expression. Uh, Ruth, uh, was there a phone call for Pat this afternoon? Oh, yeah, yeah, about uh, 3 o'clock. I don't know who it was from. I only ask who's calling when they ask for an executive. Oh, ain't it a shame. Patty's such a sweet guy. And Forrest, if you'll pardon the expression, was a high-class stinker. Hmm. We must have you address our English literature classes at Meredith sometime, Ruth. The uh, tragedy of illiteracy might be the subject. Oh, gee, I'd be only too happy. Uh, with you as Exhibit A. Hi, Mr. Witherall. Well, what are you doing here? Hi, Ruthie, baby. Man, oh, man, what a fire I've been to. I'm knocked out. Oh, get ready for a Lulu, Jackie boy. Why, what's up? Well, while you were at the fire, somebody gave Forrest a bath with a bucket of that lead in the press room and then sent the corpse roller-coastering down the delivery chute. <laughs> Cute, ain't it? No kidding. That's it, Jack. The police are upstairs now. Hallelujah. Forrest knocked off? Boy, this is my lucky day. I get a terrific story, and on top of that, somebody puts Forrest where he belongs. Who did it, huh? Do they know? Uh, Sergeant McCobble's upstairs now with Pat Welsh and Mr. Bennett. They're the most uh, likely candidates for the honor at the moment. Well, what are we waiting for? Let's go on up there. This oh. I gotta see. All right, Jack, we can... No, no, wait a minute. Not that way, Mr. Witherall. Up the stairs. The elevator's broken. See ya, Ruthie. Okay. Bye, Mr. Witherall. Uh, toodle you, Ruthie. Uh, come out to Meredith sometime. As the students say, you'll be hotter than a two-dollar pistol, if you'll pardon the expression. Now, Jack, you say Forrest cheated Pat here out of a newspaper, huh? Put him out of business? Yeah, that was the deal, McCobble. It was in Frisco about ten years ago. I'm sorry, Pat, for the facts are facts. I'm not worried, Jackie. Man that's innocent doesn't have anything to worry about. Yes, as the bard wrote, truth is truth to the end of reckoning. Sergeant, aside from the fact that I happen to be in the building, you haven't a scrap of tangible evidence against me. But when it comes to motive, Mr. Bennett, you did have a violent argument with Mr. Forrest about that picture of your daughter. Since when do you convict people on that kind of evidence? We'll get all the evidence soon enough. Give the sergeant a chance, Mr. Bennett. He'll learn. Won't you, squeaky shoes? Mrs. Mullet, don't stand there with your teeth in your mouth. Why don't you... Easy, easy, easy. Uh, talking about motives, Jack, I happen to know that Forrest cut you out of the job you wanted, working for that syndicate in Chung King, and I also know what it meant to you. Sure, that's right. Oh, I'm not sorry he's dead. I'll bet everybody in the building had a motive for wiping out that lug. Oh, uh, what happened to your wrist, Jack? Huh? Oh, oh, the bandage? I burned myself at the fire. Now, the chief will back me up on that. I was poking in the ruins for sabotage evidence. Mm. You've been at the fire since that first call came in, came in about it, Jack? Yeah, I've been there all the time. I telephoned for us from there. Anybody will tell you that. You left the moment the news flash came in? Mm-hmm, yeah, about three o'clock it was. Pat, um, you saw Mr. Forrest alive in his office when Jack telephoned? I did. After Jack called about the sabotage development, Pat, uh, you went back to the linotype, as I understand it. That's right. When you did, you looked at the clock, and it was 3.15. Uh-huh. Then you received a call from your that your mother was ill. You dashed for the elevator, but it broke down while you were inside. I told you the super will confirm that. Therefore, the elevator broke down roughly about uh, 3.20. And that's about it. Hmm. Very interesting. 
What's the angle, Shakespeare? Now, Jack, uh, you say you've been at the fire since a few minutes past three, and we know that the elevator broke down about 3.20. Get to the point, Mr. Witherall. Yeah, what's this all about? Uh, Jack, it's about the fact you're supposed to have been at the fire since shortly after three, long before the elevator broke down. Yet when I met you downstairs with Ruth, you remarked quite casually that uh, we should take the stairway because the elevator didn't work. How did you know that, uh, Jack? Why, I... Uh, Sounds like a payoff question to me, Jack. One of the truckmen outside on my way in, he told me, just before I found you at the switchboard. Really, Jack? Hmm. I suppose you'd be willing also to submit your wrist to a medical examination? My wrist? Wrist? Why, certainly I will. Why? Why? Because, Jack, I think you burned your wrist while dumping the cauldron of hot lead over forest. As you know, a medical examination will reveal whether that burn was caused by flames or um, if there are traces of lead in it. I'll uh, have another cup of coffee, Shakespeare. Then I'll be meandering home. <sighs> you figure Jack went straight to the fire, huh? Yes, Ricardo. He stayed there long enough to establish his presence. Uh, then he raced back unseen to the neighborhood of the Herald. Uh-huh. He called up Forrest uh, from downstairs with the sabotage story, uh, creating the impression that he was still at the fire. I get it. Then he buzzed Pat Welch, probably using a phony voice to tell him the lie about his mother being sick. Yes, uh, that yeah. got Welch out of the way yeah. and gave Welch a very weak excuse, too. Then uh, Jack uh, monkey-wrenched the presses, uh, forcing Forrest to go down to the press room where he was killed. The whole affair couldn't have taken more than a few minutes. Then Jack went dashing back to the fire. He'd gotten away with it, too. But he hadn't pulled that boner in front of you about the elevator. Yes, there was that. And the wrist burn. Shakespeare, how did you know the wrist burn could be analyzed for traces of hot lead? I never knew that. Um, Sergeant, um, shall I confess something to you? Uh, Neither did I. What? It uh, sounded like such a good idea at the time. Oh, you faker. (laughs) Rather neat, eh? Worked beautifully, too. Jack might never have confessed. You know, I think my students at Meredith have given me a superb training in the art of um, of what they call manufacturing applesauce. Yeah, well, applesauce or not, Shakespeare, we caught that killer, and that's what counts. Those murderers can't get to the chair fast enough for me. As a matter of fact, Considering what kind of a man that newspaper editor was, he deserved to get wiped out, too. Probably, Sergeant. There's no doubt that uh, society's transgressors must be punished. Yet uh, we mustn't make quick, violent judgments. We must always remember what the gentleman I'm supposed to resemble once wrote about mercy when he said, It is twice blessed. It blesseth him that gives and him that takes. Is mightiest in the mightiest. It becomes the throned monarch better than his crown. His scepter shows the force of temporal power, the attribute of awe and majesty, wherein doth sit the dread and fear of kings. But mercy is above this sceptered sway. It is enthroned in the hearts of kings. It is an attribute of God himself. And earthly power doth then show likest gods when mercy seasons justice. If you
enjoyed that golden age of radio production, be sure to follow The Riley and Kimmy Show. We feature old-time radio shows from time to time. We have archived episodes available right now on our website at RileyandKimmy.com. Some of them have old-time radio episodes on them. Please tell your friends about The Riley and Kimmy Show. Help us grow. Our social media links are available on our website at RileyandKimmy.com. That's R-I-L-E-Y and Kimmy, K-I-M-M-Y, dot com. If you friend, follow, and like us, we will friend and follow you back. Also, be sure to check out our website, events page, and our social media pages for updates where the Riley and Kimmy show will be appearing next. And we're available for your pop culture event and also those that are animal-based, about pets and animals, too. We have a spinoff show called Animal Special. So be sure to tell your friends about us. It's the Riley and Kimmy Show, the nerd variety talk show with daily pop culture episodes. The Riley and Kimmy Show. Find archive podcasts of The Riley and Kimmy Show at RileyandKimmy.com.